Good morning, Doxa Church. If you will, remain standing for the word of God. This morning, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30, and Acts 13, verses 1 through 4. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, speaking the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many of people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menanen, and lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we spent the last three uh, Sundays, we weren't here last week, we spent the last three Sundays talking about our mission and our vision as a church. And we started by saying that we desire to be an awakened people. Uh, awakening is the work of the Spirit to reveal the person of Jesus and the truth of his gospel to the mind and soul of a person. That, that's important. It's when, it's when the Holy Spirit reveals the truth, the person of Jesus and the truth of his gospel to your heart and soul so that he becomes real to you. And at the core, that's what it means to be a Christian. You see, this is really important. You don't become a Christian by trying to be a morally good person. You don't become a Christian by attending church or performing religious duties. You become a Christian when you see and you understand at a heart level for yourself for who you really are. When you see, when God's word, he uses his word to show you that you on your own are incomplete, broken, and a rebel. That's who we are. You can sum it up by saying, you are worse off than you ever thought that you were. You are at the core of your being, those, those deepest fears that you hear in your soul whenever you're alone, that speak to you whenever you're falling asleep. I wonder if I really count. I wonder if I measure up. I, I wonder if I'm too broken. I wonder if I matter. 
Am I too, have I done too many wrong things to make it right? The answer is, you are a rebel, you are broken, and you are incomplete on your own. But also, the flip side of what the Holy Spirit reveals to us in the gospel, when he reveals Jesus to us, is that God, he shows us God for who he really is, that he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love to each of us who are incomplete and broken and a rebel. That's the good news of the gospel. That God is offering to you in Jesus forgiveness. Yes, absolutely forgiveness. Absolute and unconditional forgiveness for anything that you ever have done or ever will do. And he is offering you free, unconditionally adoption into his family as a son or daughter. And he is giving you and offering you a new nature so that you actually can, over time, day by day, change from being who you were to someone that resembles the nature and character of Jesus himself. He shows you who you really are, and he shows you his smiling face to you in Jesus. And that kind of awakening happens when the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, causes Jesus to become real to you. The, the message of Jesus, the gospel, is the message of how we are reunited to God through the person and work of Jesus. And that's why when we say the gospel is both a message and a power, the gospel is a message of who Jesus is and what he has done and is doing for you, but it's also a power within you to convert you, not just to update you or to modify you, but the very core of your being to change you, to convert you, to alter you at the very core of who you are. And if you're a believer, you then constantly have to be reawakened to the glory of God and his love for you because we all grow dull, don't we? We all grow sleepy. And you're awakened from it by the Spirit. See, just as salvation is all of God, uh, the way that we as Christians are brought back to him or have the flame of his love for us and our love for him fanned in our heart is not by you saying, you know what, I'm going to leave here and I'm going to do way better at my quiet time every single day. I am not going to miss church a single time this year. I will be at community group. I'm going to get maybe, maybe these things have happened to me or maybe my love for him is dull because you remember that time I didn't pay my tithes. No. God's love for you and your love for God is fanned in a flame when you see afresh the gospel, the good news of his unconditional love for you and how he offers you everything that he has and everything that he does, everything to you absolutely free of charge because you cannot earn it or deserve it in any possible way. When you meet him in your weakness and your brokenness and say, I bring nothing to the table, but you find that he offers everything back to you if you only come to him in your brokenness and your weakness. And that is what should be happening. God's stirring the fire, the, the, stirring into flame the, the fire in, the, in our souls. That's what should be happening as we gather here on Sunday mornings in our community groups and in classes. You see, God has designed the things that we do together as a church to sort of stack the wood, if you will, and to fan the flame. 
preaching, singing, teaching, serving, the communion table, praying, sharing a confession. God has designed all those to stack the wood and fan into flame his, the burning flame of his love for us and our love for him. We want to be an awakened people. Then we talked about how we want we what an outgrowth of when a people like that are experiencing and knowing the Lord in their daily life, and they're seeing the beauty that's found in Jesus, and it spreads from a, through a congregation, one person by one person by one person. What we see happen is we see the congregation begins to change. God's people begin to look and act like God's people. God beautifies his church so we, the sum of us together is greater than, us, than any of us individually could be. We begin to look and reflect and smell and act like Jesus. The presence of God moves from a concept to a reality. When we gather together, there's a sense that someone is here. There's an awe in the room and there's a, a sense that he is at work and moving among us. What will he do today? Who will he touch today? What lives could he change today? What marriages could he bring back together? What hopes could he fan back into flame? What relationships that are broken could he mend? The presence of the Spirit is known and experienced by believers and by those who come in from outside and don't know him. They may not understand what is going on. They may be in our midst, and I don't know why you guys are so excited. I don't know why you guys are this devoted. I don't know why you cried when you sang that song, but I felt something. I knew something was going on. Have you, ever, have you been around church a while, and you aren't sure if, what it's even supposed to look like? Have you wondered, is there got to be something more to church than we experience, than you experience? Well, this is the way to know and experience more of God. It's the way a, a church changes so that it looks like a community where King Jesus is present in our midst. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the work of the church. That is to disciple or to train each other into maturity or wholeness, to, be, to participate in each other's lives as Jesus is taking our brokenness and putting it back together and making us whole again in him. When we're born again, we become believers in Jesus, but we have to grow just like children into his fullness. And Jesus takes our brokenness. Do you feel broken today? Do you wonder if God could even use you? Have you sinned too much? Have you gone too far? I've been there. When we're in that kind of environment, Jesus begins to take our brokenness and starts the process of putting us back together, of making us whole. And he does that through each other. It's not the ministry that I just have to you or the elders have to you. It's the ministry that you have to each other. You can experience God working through you in other people's lives. And maybe you experience a place where you, of your own story, where you have particular brokenness, you've had particular hardship, and you've seen God show up for you, and God ministers in that tender place, and if somebody else is in the same position. So we desire to be an awakened people, a center of God's presence along the Grand Strand, and we just desire to be a people who are discipling each other into wholeness. Now, what we're going to look at this week is we're going to look at how all those things start to come together in a church like ours. 
See, there's an almost chemical reaction that takes place when you have these dynamics that are working together in a congregation, when you have a people who are experiencing awakening to the gospel and the presence of God, and we start to sense and experience his presence at work among us, and we're participating in him, discipling each other into wholeness. There's an almost chemical reaction that takes place like baking soda and vinegar, or more likely like Mentos and Diet Coke. You seen those commercials on those, those TikTok, whatever? on the face tubes or whatever they are, on the social media things. It's combustible. It's explosive when those things come together. People who seemed impossibly far from God come into the church. And improbable people are sent out of the church to reach more groups of people. We saw that in the passage. The first thing we're going to see is the gospel plus new people creates a church. Look back at our passage, if you will, Acts eleven nineteen. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution, that means that the persecution that came in after Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned in Jerusalem, the believers are scattered out of Jerusalem all over the surrounding region. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Hear that? They went to different cities, different regions, speaking the word, the gospel, to no one except Jews. But, this is verse 20, this is beautiful, but there were some of them, men who are unnamed, by the way, men and women of, probably, I think, of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Now, that means the Greeks, That means these are people, Hellenists, the Greeks, who had no Jewish background whatsoever. They were pagans. They worshipped false gods. They worshipped multiple gods. They worshipped Zeus and those guys. And for the first time, a group of unnamed people come to Antioch, and other people are sharing with the Jews, and they, for some reason, they share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with the first group of people that we have referenced who did not have a Jewish background at all. And it says, the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Here's what we see. The heart and the hand of God moves towards those who are far away from him. The heart and the hand of God moves towards those who are far away from him. That should be good news for you this morning and me. Do you remember where you were whenever you were far away from God and he moved whatever he had to move so that his gospel could be shared with you? Maybe it was in a church service, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was at college, maybe it was at an inner varsity gathering when God came after you and he shared his gospel with you. He did whatever he had to do to get someone to share the gospel with you in your great time of need. Do you remember? Isn't that a beautiful thing? That God's heart and his hand moves towards those who are far away, who are far away from him. And he does so by sending a messenger 
by sending somebody, not somebody, these are people who are unnamed. These were not the apostles. These were not great preachers. These were not anybody that we have that are recorded in, in, for all of posterity. It's just some people from these two areas came to Antioch and they shared the gospel. And it says, here's what we know about them. Do they share it in a wise, powerful way? Do they have a great traveling a band and fog machines and lasers? How do they get the people's attention there in Antioch? It says the hand of God was with them. That's all they needed. Some unnamed, unimportant, forgotten people whose the hand of God was upon them to take them to a group of people who were far away from him that were Hellenists, they were pagans, they were non-God worshipers, non-God honoring, and he says, I'm going to have compassion on them, and I'm going to do what I have to do to get somebody to jump out of the Jewish population to come over to them and share the gospel with them. That's how God's heart moves. It's what sent Jesus. It's what sent Jesus from heaven. Jesus came from heaven to earth, took on flesh to come for you and to come for me. And that is his heart for your neighbors and your friends and your family members. It's his heart for those who are around you who you think are far from him. He sends a messenger. Someone who says, this thing means so much to me, I'm going to share it with a new group of people. Or have compassion upon a group of people who seem far away from God and said, God, I don't know how these Greeks are going to take this Jewish guy who we say died on the cross and rose again for their sins. I don't know how they're going to take it, but I've got to share the news with them. And you have to make it real to them. You have to awaken them. The Spirit then, as they shared the gospel with them, it brought about conversion, it brought awakening in their hearts because the hand of God was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. That's what it means to believe, by the way. It means to turn to the Lord. It's a language of trust and submission. A turning towards him and a turning away from yourself and saving yourself and any other thing that you've thought that gave you your life meaning and hope and accepting, it only comes from him. And that turning is encouraged and enabled by the amazingly good news of the gospel. Do you believe this morning, or if you're a Christian or not a Christian, do you believe and realize how good news, what good news the gospel is to you? God says, through Jesus, I'm giving you all of myself and I don't expect anything in return. There's no exchange of goods here. Just accept my free grace to you. It is so good. He says, and through that, I will place my spirit within you. I will forgive all of your sins. I will assure you that I will take you to the very end. And when you get to the end, death has no power over you. And for eternity, you'll be united with me in forever bliss. You'll rule and reign with me. You'll rule and reign with him. Do you deserve to rule and reign over anything? How have you done over your own life, your finances, your household, your children, your marriage? How have you done with that? Do you deserve to rule and reign over anything? But yet for all of eternity, he says, you'll be at my right hand with me, ruling and reigning. I don't know what will be ruling and reigning. Universe, eternity, I don't know, but I know that that is what God has planned for those who he has brought to himself. That message has changed. They, they turn to the Lord away from worthless idols, away from their own salvation, and that group of converts becomes a church. 
Barnabas says, man, something's going on here. I got to go get Paul. I got to bring him here. We got to come here. We got to help build up these believers and be a part of what God is doing here. Paul comes and Barnabas comes and they teach them for a year. And it says, this is amazing. It's the first place they were called Christians. You know why? Because up until this point, Jesus was just the Jewish Messiah. This is the first time people who weren't Jews by ethnicity believed in Christ. So now they didn't have a category anymore. These weren't just Jews who believed in this Jewish Savior. This was everybody who believes in the Savior has come. So therefore, they should be called Christians. The gospel is brought to a new people and it creates a church then we see something happen. The Holy Spirit plus worship creates mission. Fast forward a little bit in Acts 13. It says, now there were in that same church in Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, we know who that is. He was from Cyprus. Simeon, who was called Niger, that means that he was probably an, uh, of African descent. He was, had dark skin. Lucius of Cyrene. Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tetrarch, so he was, uh, he was a man of high connections. Lucius of Cyrene, who I didn't mention, he was, he, he was from northern uh, Africa, probably Arabian, and then Saul. So this multifaceted, multicultural church reflected in their multicultural leadership while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, or some other versions say while they were ministering to the Lord. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and, for, and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now let's look at one of the interesting things in this passage. This is the time when the great Apostle Paul, is sent out along with Barnabas on an absolutely world-changing mission. The world, the Western world, the whole world, is never going to be the same after this church at Antioch sends out Paul and Barnabas on this trip. They're going to plant churches. They're going to spread the gospel. Paul's going to end up writing most of the majority of the New Testament, and it all comes from this moment. Your faith background more likely than not, if you're in this room, more likely than not, goes back to this moment. Now, what were they doing? This great mission that was going to change the world. What was this church, what were these leaders doing when this new mission idea was formed? Did they get around with a big whiteboard and say, all right, guys, what are we going to do? We got these cities out here. What are we going to do? What were they doing when this new mission idea was formed? It says that they were worshiping and they were praying. They were ministering to the Lord. And here's the truth that we see. That when you meet with God, it changes you. When you commune with God, it changes you. We see it throughout Scripture. When someone meets the Lord, when they're personally confronted by the person of God, their whole future shifts. Moses, 
In the backside of the desert, he sees the burning bush, and he turns aside, and he sees the bush that's burning, but it's not being consumed, and God says, remove your sandals, for you stand in holy ground. And what does, he, what does he do with Moses in that moment? He says, go, I have a mission for you. When Isaiah has the, a vision, and he's in the temple, and it says that I, was, I saw the Lord seated on his throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and he thought, oh no, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Oh, woe is me. It says the angel comes, and he cleanses his lips. And then what does he hear God say? He says, who will go for us? And when Jesus' disciples come, when, they, when he meets them, he says, come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You see, you can't personally meet God without having your life reordered. Your plans, your allegiances dramatically shift because his majesty demands submission and his love and mercy makes you glad to give it. When you meet with God, he gives you a new mission and a new purpose. In some way, in some way, if you're in this room, God has called you to take the gospel of Jesus to people that no one else can. In some way, God has called you to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to people that no one else can. He's called you to, to share the gospel and see conversions. Who are the people around you that seem furthest from God? Just picture them in your mind. It might be a family member, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker. Who are the people around you that seem furthest from God? Maybe that's who he has his sights set on around you. Because you know how close Paul seemed to God whenever, uh, to Christ, whenever God arrested him on the road to Damascus? Nowhere near. He was on his way to kill Christians. Do you know how close these Hellenists Greeks seem to God before these people shared the gospel with them? Not at all. We don't have any record that's saying, someone come tell us about Jesus until someone came and told them. He's called you to share the gospel and see conversions, and he's called you to serve the hurting and the forgotten around you. Who are those people around you? Just picture for a second. Who are those people around you that you think Jesus would be most drawn to? Will be those who are rich and powerful and have a lot to offer you in return? Or what it might be those who are hurting and those who are forgotten? Those who are on the margins of your life, the margins of society. He's called you to, to help disciple other believers into wholeness. Where, where, has, where has he put back together your wholeness that you could share with someone around you? Where's God started to, to heal some brokenness in you? Where is, is it your marriage? Is it your relationship with your parents? Is it some, some sin that he has pulled you away from? That's not just for you. He's called you to share the wholeness that he has been breathing into your life with other people around you. 
And he's called you to work for the common good in your vocation, in your school, in your home. How can you glorify God in the way that you do what you do? How's he called you to glorify him in the way that you do what you do? You see, you can't meet Jesus and leave with the same priorities that you had before. He will call you out of your comfort and your life of familiarity. He will call you into a life of adventure and challenge. He will call you into a life that will daily require faith. But, and here's where it comes in, it will not happen if you keep him at arm's length. When his personhood doesn't touch yours, because it's there that you are confronted with, that I'm confronted with how different my priorities are than his. You see, a personal God that I can know, that wants to know me, is going to have different thoughts about the way I'm living my life than I'm doing. And if your picture of God never confronts you or challenges you, you may not know him very well. You may be building, constructing a God in your image that pleases you. But the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, while he offers everything for us, he offers us life never ending, he calls us to a change of our life and priorities. There are gonna be things that he calls me to do that I'm not sure about, that I have to wrestle over. When Meg and I felt like we were, God was calling us to plant a church, we had to wrestle for a long time about what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our family? What does this mean for our finances? What does this mean for our future? What does it mean? And it's a constant wrestle. But we don't experience the life that he has for us, the mission that he has for us, when, he keep, when we keep him at, at arm's length, when we never draw near to him in worship and in prayer. You see what happened here? They were honoring God in worship and prayer, and that's where they heard him speak. And we can, so we can judge whether we're actually growing in our knowledge and our experience of God by our lack of God-given mission and purpose in our life. But, but notice I said mission, not activity. You can have a lot of activity. You can be very busy. You can be doing a lot of Christian work, a lot of church work, and it not be God's mission. See, mission that is life-changing and life-giving. Life-changing, it changes your life. It changes the directory of your life. And life-giving is born in warm, intimate worship and prayer. There was a commentator I read in this. He said that worship and mission in this passage appear as the two key tasks of the church, worship and mission, and they feed each other. As we worship the Lord, he calls us to his mission and he empowers us to his mission to reach out into darkness, to serve those who are hurting and on the edge. And as they come to him, it creates more worship and it's just a beautiful continual loop going around. But here's my question. Where are you sent? Where, has God, where is God sending you in your daily life? Where is he sending you? 
Do you go to work in your home and your neighborhood as someone that God is sending into those places and to those people? to a group of people, to people that no one else can reach, or at least not in the same way that he has called you to. Where are you sent? Who are you helping to send on God's mission? And then, how would you even hear the Spirit call you? They were focused in fasting and prayer and worship to the Lord so that they heard the Spirit whenever he said, set apart Saul or Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. How would you even hear? Are you ever focused enough on him that you would hear him call you and tell you what he wants you to do? Or do you reject his claim and call upon you when you do hear it? God, the worship, worship plus the Spirit creates mission. And God's mission plus obedience creates multiplication. This prayer meeting in Antioch changed the whole world. They were gathered together, praying, not a big group, though there was a large church there. They were gathered there, praying. And in this prayer meeting, God speaks. He says, I have a mission for Saul and Barnabas. And the church and Saul and Barnabas obey. And when they do, it creates multiplication. God multiplies his church. Do you have that kind of expectation when it comes to prayer? Do you have the kind of expectation regarding prayer that corporate prayer and personal prayer that in that space, in that moment, that God can speak, empower, and do things that will change the world? Do you believe that in prayer, God can change your home and your neighborhood and coastal Carolina and this community? Do you believe that God can do that? Do you have that kind of expectation? From this prayer meeting, as I already mentioned, Paul and Barnabas take the gospel from the Middle East all the way into Europe. They plant new churches in major cities, and then those churches turn around and spread throughout entire regions. Plus, Paul writes the majority of the New Testament all out of this prayer meeting. And here's what's exciting about this. We see in this way that we see that where worship feeds mission, we see that Jesus personally directs and empowers the ministry and mission of his church. Jesus personally directs and empowers his mission in his church. You see, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is the one who calls Paul and Barnabas. God doesn't only give us a new mission and a purpose. He provides all the needed direction and resources in order to accomplish his task. This is something that Honestly, I've, I've struggled over the past few months. I look around, I think, God, I want to see you move so much in the Grand Strand. I want to see you move through our church. And we don't even have a building. It's hard for us to even get people together to get this place set up on a Sunday morning. There's so, how do we even do anything? Then recently I've been convicted thinking, if God calls to his mission, 
He provides all the resources and all the power and all the motivation in order to do it. God doesn't wait. He's not waiting for some billionaire to give a lot of money so the church can actually do what he's called the church to do. He's not waiting for somebody to give us a large donation so he can call us to do what he's called us to do. Neither is he waiting for you to get your act together or get a better job or get more money in your bank account so you can do what he's called you to do. God says, I took two loaves and five, five loaves and two fishes and fed thousands of people from that one lunch. It's the same thing whether it's the other way around, right? God says, "I, I created the universe out of nothing with my word. Jesus hardly had a handful of people who would stick by him whenever he died on the cross. I don't need much. In fact, I don't need anything. But if you want to experience what life with me is life, if you want to experience a life of adventure and mission, if you want to see your friends and family and neighbors and coworkers come to know me, if you want to see what it would look like along the Grand Strand if a people dedicated themselves and said, all that I have, Look, I know you don't need me, and you don't need my money, and you don't need my my time, but all that I have, I'm pushing it all in. I'm saying, what would you do with me, and what would you do with us if we pushed it all in and said, God, we are here for you to do what you want to do along the Grand Strand. He said, I'm not waiting for you to give your money. I'm just, are are you ready to experience what it would be like if I poured out my spirit in and through you to glorify myself? in this church, in your neighborhood, in your home, along the Grand Strand, are you ready and willing for that? Do you really want that? Because if he's the one who calls, then he's the one who foots the bills. The church is never limited to the monthly giving or bank account or number of attenders. If you hear the Spirit say, go, let me tell you, everything is already provided. The check is already signed. Young people, that's how we used to exchange money. The Venmo is already sent. If we hear the Spirit to say, send somebody, everything is already provided. Everything. The Holy Spirit calls the church to separate Paul and Barnabas to the call. Paul had already heard God call him. He knew he was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. But when the right time came, the Spirit directed the church to send him. It's the Spirit that calls people to mission. And in conjunction, the leaders of the church should seek to identify, train, and commission those who are called. Are you called to something? Let us, let us do the work of, identif- of training you and preparing you and commissioning you to do what God has called you to do. You want the church how to do? Can you imagine what it would be like in that room? You got Paul. And Barnabas. And the Spirit speaks and says, Who do I want you to send? These two. The strongest, best leaders in your midst. I want you to send those. Can you imagine how they must have, Oh man, how are we going to survive? What are we going to do? How can we survive them leaving? What will happen? We see when that church said, no, we want to obey 
the call of the Holy Spirit on our life. We're going to res- respond in faith and trust to say that he's going to res- provide all the resources for Paul and Barnabas to go and do this mission, and he's going to provide all the resources that we need to do to keep on doing the mission here. And they responded that way. God's powerful work that he had done in Antioch got multiplied all over the Mediterranean. Corinth, Philippi, all over Greece and Turkey, Ephesus, all throughout the Mediterranean, all the way up into Italy, all the way up into into Spain. God's pushed the gospel and multiplied what had happened in Antioch because they heard the word and obeyed. Where's the Lord calling you today? Where's the Lord calling you today? It may be something that seems big or it may be something that seems small, but where is he calling you today? Where are your life priorities? Does it reflect his mission and his heart? Do they reflect those of one who has met with Jesus Christ? Are you trying to hold Jesus at arm's length because you aren't sure if you want to submit to his call upon you? Is Jesus calling you to his mission today? In your home or your work or your neighborhood? Is he calling you to the hurting and the forgotten around you? Is he calling you perhaps further? Is he calling you to start or to lead a ministry? Is he calling you to, maybe he's calling you to plant a church or maybe he's calling you to international missions or maybe he's calling you to full-time or part-time ministry? Is he calling you to use your vocation for the common good? If so, how do you respond today? Perhaps you sense God's calling on your heart this morning and you need to mark this moment. Maybe you say, I need, to, I need to come forward. I need to bow where I am. I need to pull aside and pray. I need to ask somebody to pray for me. Do what you have to do this morning to follow his call upon your life because those who meet Jesus are called by Jesus to his mission. And if we push in the chips, with, say, God, all that we are, all that we have, would you use us? He will respond. That life, as crazy, as sacrificial, as adventurous, as intimidating it may be, is the greatest joy that you can ever experience. Follow him and obey him at all costs today. It's worth everything. It's worth everything. Everything that you have. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. What will a prophet a Christian if they gain the whole world and lose the chance to follow Christ into his call? I'm going to pray and we're going to have communion together. This could be a, a moment of time for you to mark and say, this moment here and now, Christ, all that I have is yours. Use me for your mission. Show me where you want me to go, what you want me to do, and show us as a church where you want us to go and what you want us to do. Forgive us for having a lack of faith, for not trusting that you will provide everything that we need. 
God, not just as a church, but you'll provide every, my household, everything that we need if we follow after you. I'll lose nothing. Because as we re- will be reminded at this table, he offers all of himself, his broken body, and his shed blood for you. So will he withhold from you any good thing? No. Jesus Thank you for the joy that you have brought us into. Thank you that you've called us to know you, that you've brought us into, your, into fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, help us to respond as changed people with a mission and a purpose that's given by you. Lord, for that person who's here, who has not experienced the new birth, maybe they've been around church, but they've never experienced a change in their inner being. They've never been awakened in their soul. They know that right now, God, I pray that they would not wait one more moment, one more day, one more hour, that they would not tarry, that they would see that you are the pearl of great price. And it's worth selling all that we have to gain you. But you don't offer, it's not for sale. You offer yourself freely. You see, simply accept your sacrifice on our behalf. And see that you are Lord of all. Oh Lord, today let it be the day. Or let your body and your blood and the bread and the juice nourish us in faith. And send us out to do your mission, we pray. Amen.